look in, in Psalms chapter 25, and we're going to be looking at uh, today uh, this thought, or we're going to be looking at the difference in the life of David and the life of Solomon as it relates maybe to this one uh, specific passage and, and some things that maybe God wanted to do in, in their life that maybe didn't come to fruition and, and, and stuff like that. So in Psalms chapter 25. Uh, Psalms 25, verse 12. It says right here, it says, Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. Okay? Who is the man that fears the Lord? Who is it? Who is that person? Who is that person that fears the Lord? God will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will will abide in prosperity. And his, his inner man, okay, his inner man will abide, will live in prosperity, okay, and his descendants will inherit the land. You know, with verse 13 and what, you know, the scripture is actually saying here, whenever you get a breakthrough, whenever you get a breakthrough with God, okay, your descendants are supposed to get a greater breakthrough, okay? When you gain a breakthrough, okay, in your relationship with God, and God begins to do something inside of you, okay, that sets up the next generation that comes after you to receive an even greater breakthrough than the one that you have, okay? And we see it right here in verse 13. I want to make, th- make sure we understand this, okay, because it's saying his soul will abide in prosperity, okay, his soul will abide in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land, so those descendants, the next generation, receives the greater inheritance, the greater breakthrough because of what happened in our life, okay? So when God begins to do something inside of your life, he's setting up the next generation to have something greater than what you have now, okay? You following me, all right? So, you know, something happens in the inner man, in the inner world, that prepares the next generation for something great. It's, it's kind of a cause and effect, okay? It's the reason why God wants to do something great inside of you, because when he does something great inside of you, it should affect the next generation down the line, okay? It should affect the next generation. God wants to do something. The man who fears the Lord, his soul will abide in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. What one generation experiences, the next generation is supposed to experience and, and even more. You know, and even Jesus understood this principle. You remember when Jesus said, he said, um, uh, you know, in, in, in one of the passages, uh, he says that when I go, you will see greater works than these. Remember Jesus told the disciples that you're going to do greater things than even I did, okay? Because the breakthrough that I'm bringing to you now, the next generation is going to see an even greater breakthrough, Okay? All right, and so we understand this, we see this. And so what I want to do is I want to look, and what we're going to do today is look at David and Solomon and, and how we see one generation and how it affects the next generation and how God, wants to, how God wants to work, how God wants to work inside of you, what he wants to do to you, and how God wants to use that to impact generations to come, Okay. You know, we're, we're a church here that I, I believe, um, you know, it's important to invest in the next generation. 
Yes, that's a good place to say amen, by the way. Okay? Just want to make sure you're there. All right? Uh, it's important that we invest and that we prioritize, okay, leading, training the next generation. Okay? And we have some young people here at this church that, that we bring on to our staff that have great energy and great passion. And God's working inside of them to work inside of the next generation. But we want to invest in that generation. Okay? We want to invest in the next generation. We want our church to be a place that is inviting, okay? that, that, that loves the next generation, that brings them in, that invests inside of them. That we can see God not only do something in our lives in our culture that we live, in our generation that we live in right now, but also for generations to come. We, and that's, that's a part of creating a legacy, okay? Because a legacy lasts after you're gone. And you want to create, and this is what I think that, that, that God is leading me to here in the next, next couple weeks, next couple months, is this idea of significance, you know, what are we doing in our life that is, is, is creating significance and, and legacy? Because God wants to do something inside of you, okay, and inside of your life and the things that you do that, that is significant and that creates a legacy, a, a long-lasting effect inside of the lives of other people that live here on this earth. And, and God wants to use you to do that, not just the pastoral staff that's at a church. He wants to use that because in the kingdom of God, Okay, it's not about staff. It's not about, you know, these, these offices and positions. Okay, where every person is a minister. Okay, every person, every person is a part of the priesthood. We all have the ability to go and stand before the Lord and worship the Lord in our own way and, and worship Him by the life that we live and the talents that we have uh, to do those kinds of things. But, you know, in Old Testament times, it was one person. It was the priest who got to go stand before the Lord. Well, Jesus broke that down and made us all priests, made us all ministers, that we can all stand before the Lord. We can all worship and, and honor him with our life. And, and, um, and so I want us to look at, at David and Solomon. We're going to look in, in 1 Kings in particular. You know, David was a warrior. He was a, um, he was a very passionate warrior. Um, as a matter of fact, he, he spent a good majority of his time uh, in, in battle, uh, in warfare, fighting for the promises of God, fighting for the things that God said are yours. You know, God told the nation of Israel, saying that these are going to be yours, the promised land, all these kinds of things. You know, I'm going to give you the, the land of all these people and everything. And, and David spent a good majority of his, especially the early part of his life, fighting in battle, fighting, you know, these great wars and conquests for the kingdom of God and, and doing all these great things. And yet on the other side of David, he, he, you know, he was a warrior who fought to obtain all the promises that God had given them. And on the other side of, the day of David, we see that he was an extremely passionate lover of God. You know, here on one side you have this manly man who's, who's this crazy, you know, warrior for, for the Lord. And on the other side of David, you see that he is this a, a really passionate lover of God. And the way that he's able to express himself through, through worship, uh, through the Psalms and all of these kinds of things. We see when he, he brought the ark in, that he stripped down into his underwear and danced before the Lord. And, and, and he just, you know, he was a, a, a man's man. And yet at the same time, he was an extremely passionate lover of God. 
And what God did with David is God allowed David to build a temporary structure for that presence. You remember the ark and the whole situation where, where David had to go and get the ark and then, you know, uh, the, the guy died because he reached out and touched it and then they left it there and then they had to go back to get it and they brought it back. And God, God allowed David to build a temporary structure. And ultimately when David left, Solomon came along and Solomon built a permanent structure for the presence of the Lord. David built a tabernacle where the ark was, where the ark, and, and during this particular time when he brought the ark in, he, he built this tabernacle as a temporary dwelling place, okay, where the ark was sitting. And he would have, during this particular time when he brought, when he brought the tabernacle, which was a sign and a symbol of the presence of God, okay, he brought the, ta- he brought the, the, the ark here. He would have priests on rotation to come before the ark and minister to the Lord in song 24 hours a day. For 30 years, for 30 years straight, David, he, 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 he created this, this structure of worship and honor and, and, and not allowing there to be time to go by where they weren't in there and the priest weren't on a schedule to go in there before the Lord and to worship the Lord and to honor him in, the, in his presence. He created that. And one of the things that happened in David's life is that David was able to see something significant that most people in that particular time, in that covenant period with God, most people didn't see. And we see this in Psalms chapter 51. In Psalms chapter 51, verse 16 and 17, it says this, For you do not, this is David, talking about what he understands about God, and, and, and what God likes and what he doesn't like. And this is what he says right here. He says, for you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now, this is significant here because we're living under old covenant at this particular time where what they were supposed to do is sacrifice and burnt offering. That's what God had set up in place to basically, because we know Romans 3.23 says uh, uh, the price of sin is death. In other words, the penalty of sin is death. So the reason why God established these sacrificing of the bulls and the burnt offerings and stuff, this was to delay the penalty of sin. This is the reason why they did these things. But David became such a lover of God that he understood something about God long before anybody else understood this until Jesus came along. Because what he's talking about here, right here in Psalms, is a new covenant uh, of philosophy of thinking about God. Because under the old covenant, it was about burnt offerings. It was about sacrifices. It was about all of those kinds of things that God wanted them to do and had established them for, to do. And David was able to see ahead of his time to something that nobody else was able to see and that God desires a broken and contrite spirit is what he desires more than a burnt offering and sacrifices. He had such intimacy and a place with God that was so significant and so great that he was able to see things that that people weren't able to see until Jesus came and broke the veil. And then they began to see how God God desires something more than all of those things. There was a shift that ended up taking place from obeying God through through external services to a presence-oriented culture. That's what is happening here. 
David was trying to create and trying to shift inside of the nation of Israel from a, an external worship and standpoint, like uh, from external living and trying to live up to the regulations, he was trying to shift the culture to a presence-oriented culture. And this is, in, a, in effect, the heart and soul of what is given to us in the Lord's Prayer. When it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've, we've talked about the scripture a lot. Jesus said to pray that the kingdom of God would come on earth as, as it is in heaven. Let me ask you something. What is the number one reality of heaven? What is the number one reality of heaven? The number one reality of heaven is God's presence. Because it's everywhere. It permeates everything. Okay, it's it's in everything. There there is no shadow in heaven where God's presence is not at. There is no place, no spot, no moment, no time, no distance where God's presence is not at. And Jesus here is telling us to pray that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That the kingdom of God would come here to this earth. And one of the things that we know about heaven is the presence of God. In other words, Jesus is telling us that we want his presence here. That we want to create, that God wants to create inside of us, okay, not systems and regulations and rules. He wants to create inside of us a sense of God's presence, that we become presence-oriented people. And that our message to the world is not about the presence, that we go out into the world and we talk to people all about the presence of God. But our passion becomes about the presence. So that, you know, we're in His presence and we desire His presence and we desire everything that He is to the point that when we live our life and we do the things that we do and we're around the people that we're around, That they look at us and they can see that there's something different about you. There's something different about you. Because of his presence. You see, David was a presence-oriented man. He was a presence-oriented man. He loved the Lord. The Bible said that he was a man after God's own heart. There's a lot of stuff that we could talk about David, but David was a presence-oriented man. He, he was all about the presence of God. I want the presence of God. It's the reason why he was so passionate to bring the ark in and to do whatever it took to bring the presence of God back to the nation of Israel. He was a presence-oriented man. And I want us to turn now to 1 Kings chapter 3. It says right here, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burnt incense on high places. All right? So this is kind of a very critical 
beginning of Solomon. This is the beginning of Solomon's reign. David has kind of now passed everything on to Solomon. We see right here in 1 Kings 3, 3. It says right here, man, you know, now Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father David. Okay, and here we see the next generation coming along. David brought a breakthrough of the presence of God to the nation of Israel. And now what we have with Solomon here is that at the very beginning, Solomon is actually bringing the same thing. It says that he walked, okay, he walked, he loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father, except, but, okay, he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, okay? Now, the problem here, okay, with a sacrificing and burning incense uh, is that it, it this was something that pagans did, okay, is that they would go to the highest place they could find because they figured if I could go to the high place, this high mountain, well, I'm closer to God, okay. That's, I don't know, it's just the way they thought, okay, back in their time, okay. The highest mountain gets me closer to God, so we go to the high place, and we're going to burn offering and incense before the Lord. Well, these were, these were practices that pagans did. Now, we know that Solomon is actually doing this to the Lord. But the problem at this particular point is, is kind of twofold. One, God has already told them not to do it. Don't do it. So Solomon is doing everything that his father did with the same statute, same desires and everything, except for the fact that he's doing a couple things different. Okay? And he's doing something he was told not to do. And the other problem with this is that there's, there's an element of self-willed worship involved in this. And that, yeah, he wants to worship God, but he wants to worship God the way that he wants to worship God and not the way that God tells him to worship me. And, and so he has a sense of self-willed worship going on inside of here. He's doing something he's not supposed to do. And there's this self-willed worship. And, and, and it wasn't that he was not doing it. He was doing it, but he, he was doing it the way that he wanted to do it. And, and so what we see here in the life of Solomon is that there's just kind of like a, a slightly uh, um, off foundation that, that Solomon begins with. He begins with this great thing that he's going to follow the statutes of his father David and everything, except for this one little thing, these, this little thing that he decided to do a little bit different. And it kind of made, you know, the foundation of who he was and what he was going to do just a little bit uh, off kilter. And, uh, you know, if the foundation is just a little bit crooked, uh, it doesn't take long before there becomes some major problems, if you can imagine. Uh, any foundation trying to build a building, and if the, if the foundation is, is crooked or off, you start building that building, and you're going to start having some problems later on. Um, just like, you know, uh, maybe driving a car. You know, it doesn't take much to get off the road. You know, just a, just a little turn like this on your, on your wheel, and before you know it, you're, you're way out here. It doesn't take much. It was just a little, little thing inside of Solomon's life that he was allowing that wasn't really supposed to be there in the first place. And, you know, there were several times that God showed up to Solomon and tried to remove this, tried to, tried, to, tried to fix this problem that Solomon had for whatever reason. He was trying to fix what was going on in Solomon's life. And, and, and for whatever reason, Solomon never really kind of, never really heeded to the instruction. But I want us to turn over to 1 Kings uh, chapter 8 now. <clears throat> and, and this is, um, you know, God has used Solomon to build this 
multi-million dollar temple um, in, in his particular day uh, to bring the ark, the presence of God, into a permanent facility. And here we are in chapter 8 where they're bringing that in. So <clears throat> right here it says, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the leaders of the father's household and the sons of Israel to King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. All the men of Israel assembled themselves to King Solomon at the feast in the, uh, in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. Then all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the ark. They brought up the ark of the Lord <clears throat> and the tent of meeting and all the holy utensils which were in the tent and the priest and the Levites brought them up. And King Solomon and all of the congregation of Israel who were assembled to him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priest brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord uh, to its place into the inner sanctuary uh, <clears throat> of the house of the most, ho- most holy place and near the wings of the cherubim. All right. <clears throat> so here it is. They're bringing the ark, and then we're skipping over to verse 10 right here. It says, and it happened that when the priest came from the holy place, the cloud, uh, <clears throat> that when the priest came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. All right? <clears throat> so, uh, you know, this is an incredible place for them to be, for Solomon to be, for, for them to be at this particular moment uh, in, in, uh, in Israel. One of the things that I want to maybe try to uh, point out is, you remember we talked about how, you know, for those who fear the Lord, their soul will abide in prosperity and, and the next generations will inherit the land. I believe that God wanted to do something so significant in the nation of Israel that under Solomon's reign, that the glory... And the presence of God would be so strong that it would be like having heaven on earth. Okay? Uh, Now, that's not crazy because remember Jesus said that we're to pray for heaven to come to earth. Okay? Um, Actually, I believe it's in 1 Kings chapter 5. In the early part of 1 Kings chapter 5, Solomon actually makes this statement. He he makes this statement that they they had no adversary and no problem or... um, Let's see here if I can I can find it real quick. Um, uh, yeah, on verse four it says, "Now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, and there is neither adversary nor misfortune." All right, almost he's saying he's saying that the devil was just not there. They had no adversary. The devil was not around. It was not, he was not monkeying around with the nation of Israel. And it was almost like God was establishing his kingdom like it was heaven on earth. And he was trying to, and that word misfortune, if you actually do a, a word study on that, that word misfortune, it actually means that there was no problems associated with fatherlessness inside of their society. That God and the presence of God was so strong inside of their society 
that God's presence and, and everything that God was wanting to do inside of that nation of Israel was so great and so powerful okay, that they had no adversary whatsoever, that the devil wasn't around, he wasn't mucking around with them, he wasn't mucking around with anything that they were doing, that the devil was, he just wasn't there. And not only that, but they had no problems with fatherlessness, they had no societal issues, no misfortunes, no problems, no difficulty whatsoever. It was almost like, really like, that God was trying to establish heaven on earth. Well, we see later on, um, you know, some things, verse, you know, of course, uh, in <clears throat> chapter 8, you know, that the glory of God shows up so thick that there's this cloud that forms. And what it does is it affects their um, routine. All of a sudden, God begins to show up. They bring the ark in, and they honor, and they're sacrificing. They've created this environment of worship and honor that the glory of God shows up so strong that it becomes this cloud. And it affects everything in their life. And no longer now is worship something that they do as a part of a routine that they have every day. Now worship has affected every, every part of their life and everything that they are. Worship has, has now kind of gotten in the way of, of who they are and what they do. And, and everything is, is so different here. Okay? And, and, and what, what we see here, though, okay, is, is that uh, and, and later on, we're going to see a problem that begins to shift and something that begins to happen inside of Solomon. Because you see, Solomon was a man of principle. David was a man of presence. And Solomon was ultimately supposed to be a man of both. A man of principled presence. Okay? But for whatever reason, there, there, there came a point in his life where he missed out on the presence of God. You know, Paul says in, in, in one of the epistles, he says, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffeth up. Um, and what he's really saying right here, and when Paul said this, he wasn't actually talking to the world. He wasn't talking to sinners. He wasn't talking to unbelievers. He wasn't talking to people out there that had a lot of knowledge about stuff. He was actually talking to believers. That knowledge puffs us up. Knowledge produces pride inside of us. Okay? Knowledge produces pride when knowledge comes without divine encounter. Okay? Knowledge puffs up and produces pride inside of us when knowledge comes without a divine encounter of the presence of God. I think Paul is probably one of the greatest examples of this. You know, when Paul was converted, or Saul was converted, okay, it's not like he had to learn something different, because he already knew all the Old Testament Scripture. He already was a master in theology and understanding the the things about the kingdom of God. But before Paul had an encounter with God, his knowledge puffed him up and made him prideful and made him an enemy of the kingdom of God. And then all of a sudden, one day when he's going down that Damascus road and all of a sudden now he has an encounter with the presence of God. The presence of God combined with his knowledge produced great power. But it was about his presence. Paul was about the presence of God. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. The joy of fellowshipping in his suffering. All of these things were things that Paul said were a part of his passion. To have fellowship with God. 
And so what happens here in verse 10 was that worship wasn't about duty anymore. Worship was about life. Worship wasn't about their routine. God, the, the presence of God shows up so thick in the nation of Israel that worship now is not about some kind of routine, not some kind of duty that they have, but now worship was about life. Worship began to affect and permeate all of their life and everything that they were. You see, when your position or your job becomes an expression of worship, we lose the ability to, to distinguish between what is sacred, okay, between what is sacred and what is secular, okay. When you, when, when your job or your position, your place that you're at outside of this place where we're at, when when that when you lose that understanding of where you're at, and it becomes okay, listen, it becomes an expression of worship to God. When what you do on a day-to-day basis becomes an expression of worship to God, you lose the ability to distinguish between that which is sacred and that which is secular. And let me tell you something, though. That's a good thing because there's no such thing as that kind of separation inside the kingdom of God. To Jesus, there wasn't a difference between that which is secular and that which is sacred. There's not a difference. Because God's presence is supposed to permeate our life and everything that we do. That everything that we do can become a, a expressive worship to God. That every part of our life, every way that we serve others, every way that we work our job, that all of these things that we do become worship to God. And then it's not, well, we have the sacred part of my life over here and the secular part of my life over here. And usually never the two shall meet. God's presence was to show up in your life so strong, okay, that they both meet, that they both collide and clash. And that's how the kingdom of God ultimately becomes issued into your life in a greater way than maybe what it's been before. I heard a story uh, this week about this guy who was a missionary. And uh, he was, I think he was in China or something like this, and he, or Africa, I can't remember, sorry. Uh, and uh, he got food poisoning on, on the mission field, and, and uh, they had no running water, uh, or at least no, yeah, yeah no running water. The, the toilet they, they had wouldn't flush, and um, he, he got food poisoning, and so for a week or two on end, he just, you know, I mean, you know, okay? And there was a guy that was there, uh, a Christian uh, believer that was there, that was a part of the mission work, that he would come to the house several times a day to clean up after him and scrub the toilets and clean the toilets and all that kind of stuff after all this stuff happened. And the whole time this, this missionary was saying, the whole time this guy did it, he would, he would be singing a song, I have the greatest daddy in the world. It's like this guy, whoever he is, I mean, nobody wants to be in that spot. But to him, everything that he did was worship to God. Even cleaning up after somebody who was sick like that in just a not fun way. I mean, look, man, I'll just be honest, okay? When, 
I'm just going to be honest. In my, if anybody throws up, I leave the room, okay? I leave the room because I'm next. <clears throat> it's just one of those things. Um, that's maybe the reason why I don't need to be a missionary. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe God didn't call me for one of those reasons. I don't know. I mean, people throw up here in America. I don't know why I'm talking about this in church, but <laughs> praise the Lord. But, you know, when, we, when, when the presence of God becomes so strong in our lives, all right, that it's, we, we lose the ability to see the difference between that which is secular and that which is sacred. And, and in reality, there's no such thing in the kingdom of God in that, as that separation. There's no such thing. You know, when a church, when a church separates what is secular from what is sacred, um, then it becomes us versus them. When a church, we get to the place where we start separating the secular from the sacred, then it becomes, it becomes the church versus the world. And it's hard to serve the world and love the world when you feel like it's you versus them. God wants everything in our life to be sacred before the Lord. An expression of worship before the Lord. Everything that we do can be unto the Lord for his glory. And when this happens in our lives, this reality tips the scales in everything that we do. The way that we understand our lives and the things that we do and the way we go about living and and doing the things that we do, it affects us in a powerful, powerful way. I want to flip over a couple more chapters to uh, 1 Kings chapter 11. Here we begin to see some things begin to change. Solomon was a man of of principle. David was a man of presence. Solomon was supposed to be a man of principle, presence, and and he missed out on something that was really important um, that one wants to look at. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate um, with you for they will surely turn your heart away from, uh, turn your heart away after their gods. And Solomon held um, fast to these in love and he had 700 wives. Let me stop there just for a second. I want you to let that one sink in. 700 wives. Uh, I got one, and that's enough. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I mean, sometimes she's not here, so I can say whatever I want this morning, okay? (laughs) What in the world? I would lose my... What what is he thinking here? I mean, you know, this just... This is just not practically smart, okay? Let's not talk about, all right, you know, obedience smart. Nine, 700. I mean, okay. I'll just let you know, seven, 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, <clears throat> and his wives turned his heart away 
For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. And then skipping over verse 9, it says, Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice. Um, You know, God was really wanting to do something here in the nation of Israel, and for whatever reason, Solomon missed something. I, I don't know if there's another person in Scripture where the Bible says that God appeared to him twice other than Solomon. It says, God says, man... I tried really hard with you, Solomon, that I appeared to you twice in your life to get this thing right. And for whatever reason, he, he decided to uh, <clears throat> make covenant with other gods, other things. You see, self-willed worship ultimately arrives to come. Self-willed worship ultimately leads to a divided heart. And he became a man of principle, and no longer was he a man of presence anymore. Now, he had all the principles right. You know, he had the ark there. He had the big temple. I'm sure they were doing a lot of things that were right. But for whatever reason, he... He was missing out on the, on the presence, on God's presence. And that is ultimately what God wanted to do inside the nation of Israel at that time was to bring the presence of God. Well, I, I shared this passage last, um, passage last week. The scripture says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, treasures evermore. In your presence... There is fullness of joy. You ever feel like you just lose the joy sometimes? Just lose the joy. You kind of feel like you're chasing your own tail, trying to catch up to something you never seem to kind of can catch up to. The Bible says that in his presence is fullness of joy. Maybe what we need is his presence. See, the New Testament church picked up on something that Solomon missed out on. They picked up on something that Solomon missed. And I want us to turn to Acts chapter 2. I want to read a passage to you real quick. <clears throat> because this is pretty significant. Acts 2.42 And it says that they were continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They continually devoted themselves. They were continually devoting themselves. Okay? The word that I want to express right here and really highlight is this word continually. Continually. They continually devoted themselves to these things. In other words, they kept saying yes to the presence of God. You know, sometimes it's just so easy inside of the church and inside of our relationship with God to feel like that we've already arrived. Well, I've already said the sinner's prayer. I go to church, I do my duty, and I've arrived. 
But you know, the Bible here says that if you want to be a person about presence, okay, then it has to be something that you got to continually do. Not something that is a one-time decision in your life that you got eternity settled in your heart and now you're kind of moving on. No, God wants us to be a people that are about his presence. It's the reason why he told us to pray that the kingdom of God, the will of God would come to this earth the same way it is in heaven. That we would be a people about the presence of God. And the way that we maintain the presence of God is by continually saying yes to the presence. Continually devoting ourselves over and over. And Solomon, for whatever reason, he felt like he arrived when he got the presence inside the temple. He no longer continued this pattern of worship and honoring and prioritizing the presence of God. And he began to drift away chasing other things. And the New Testament church got it right because they began to continually, continually devote themselves to the word of God, to prayer, to fellowship, to worship. They devoted themselves to these things, to be about the presence of God. It was the reason why they were so significant. It was the reason why they were so impactful in their community is because the presence of God was with them wherever they went. You know, faith, faith comes by hearing. You've heard this, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith doesn't come by having heard the word of God. You follow me? There's a big difference. Faith doesn't come by having heard the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. It's a continual. God is looking for people who are current. Who are current. That is the secret to the kingdom of God. It's like this. We sign our name as a believer. We sign our name to a blank sheet of paper and we let God fill in the paper. That's what it means to be a person that is about the kingdom of God is that God gives us a blank contract. We sign our name and he fills in the details. We say, I'll do it. You just tell me what to do. I'll do it. You tell me what to do. I'm going to sign my name. And not just a one time I sign my name, but it's every day we wake up, every moment of our life, we re-sign our name to that contract and we let God fill it out for us. We don't put a list of stuff on a piece of paper like, God, these are the things that I will do for you. And here, I'll sign it for you just to let you know. No, that's, that's, that's not, that's worshiping God on your own terms. That's a little bit of self-willed worship. That you'll worship God as long as you can worship him the way that you want to worship him. No, we sign our name and we let God fill it out. And we say, God, it's all for you anyways. That's how we go about bringing the kingdom of God here to this earth. Is that it's about his presence. We want to be, listen, God wants to create a church. A people that are about the presence of God. My prayer and my hope, my prayer, and and again, I know we're meeting in a school, but wouldn't it be so significantly awesome, man, if the presence of God began to impact the school because of our presence here in this school? What if people during the week here at at Calero High School, when they came into the auditorium, they're like, dude, something's weird in here. 
Something strange. My prayer and my desire is that every person that ever walks through the doors would know something's different here because there's a presence. There's a presence. But the only way that'll happen is when we become people who are hungry for the presence. When we become hungry for the presence, it brings that presence here. And when God's presence shows up, anything can happen. Anything can happen. But it's all about him. It's not about us. You know, the presence of God was meant to be, was, was meant to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. Right? That's the reason why David, we kind of talked about this. David, his problem was when he went to go get the ark first time, he put it on a cart that they had made. Okay, the presence of God is not supposed to be carried on man-made structures and systems. The presence of God is supposed to be carried on the shoulders and the backs of the people. We're supposed to be the ones carrying the presence of God wherever we go. That's the way God has created it, that we carry the presence of God. It's not about a church on a rock building. It's not about a system. It's not about five songs and the offering and a sermon. It's not about any kind of structure or thing that we can do. It's all about a people who become passionate for the presence of God. And that is what carries the presence of God onto what we do and wherever we go. And then everything in our life becomes sacred. The way that we live, the job that we work, the things that we do, the way that we treat our husbands, our wives, our kids, it all becomes sacred and worship unto God. Because it's all about His presence anyways. Amen. Would you stand to your feet today?